Welcome to Backlog Books. In this podcast, I will be recapping and discussing what I've been reading lately. My name is Kara. My qualifications are non-existent, except that someone gave me a microphone and then didn't take it away. Thank you for joining me, and please be prepared for some spoilers. I have a couple of things to cover before we get started. The first one is... I did a giveaway for the last book I talked about on this podcast, A River Enchanted. Thanks everybody who emailed me and entered. The winner has been contacted, and I'll be shipping the book to them this week. And secondly, next episode is my 50th episode. We're coming up on the two-year anniversary of this podcast, which is wild to me. I can't believe I've kept this up for six months, let alone two years. Once again, I will be doing something a little different with that episode because it will come out that Thursday instead of that Monday. So it'll be out on June 9th instead of June 6th. And the reason for that is that I got an advanced reader copy of the book in question. So I wanted to release the episode on the day that that book comes out, which will be June 9th. I'm pretty excited. I haven't done an advanced reader copy on this podcast. For a while, I was on one of those websites where you can get advanced copies of books so that you can review them, but I sort of fell off the bandwagon. I didn't find it a particularly fun way to interact with books, so I don't know that I will be making a habit of getting new books before they come out, but it was fun to try out. Okay. With that out of the way, let's get started. This time, we are talking about The Chosen by Chaim Potok. Here is the summary. It is the spring of 1944, and 15-year-olds Reuven Malter and Danny Saunders have lived five blocks apart all their lives. But they've never met not until the day an accident at a softball game sparks an unlikely friendship. Soon, these two boys, one expected to become a Hasidic Rebbe, the other at ease with secular America, are drawn into one another's worlds despite a father's strong opposition. Set against the backdrop of World War II and the creation of the State of Israel, The Chosen is a poignant novel about transformation and tradition, growing up and growing wise, and finding yourself, even if it might mean disappointing those you love. The Chosen was published in 1967. Our author, Chaim Potok, was born in New York in 1929. He was apparently inspired to become a writer by the book Brideshead Revisited. He got a master's in English literature and a doctorate in philosophy. He was a rabbi and served as a chaplain during the Korean War. He was also a professor and an editor-in-chief for a literary magazine. He died in 2002. I have a vague memory of my parents reading this book when I was a kid. I found a copy in one of my neighborhood's little free libraries, and I thought, well, why not? And I'm really glad I picked it up. This is 
a lovely story about friendship, father's tradition, growing up, Judaism, and just so much. This book is set in New York City near the end of World War II and is written in first person. We follow our main character, Reuven, as he grows up and decides who he wants to be. And we especially focus on his friendship with a Hasidic boy named Danny. I am putting on the following section the huge flashing lights disclaimer that I am not Jewish and I don't claim any expertise in matters of Judaism. I'm not even a fumbling amateur in regards to Judaism. I'm going off of what I understood from this book, which is 50 years old and was not meant as an introductory course to Judaism. But to help you sort of understand the context here, Hasidism is more conservative. Its members have earlocks, the ringlets by the side of their face. They don't shave their beards. They wear tasseled garments. It's a subset of Orthodox Judaism and focused on a strict observance of Jewish law. So that's where Danny is coming from. Reuven, however, is being raised in a less conservative manner. He goes to a secular school. He doesn't have earlocks. He's contemplating becoming a math teacher. On the surface, Reuven and Danny should never interact. Their worlds are distinct, separate from each other, even though they live only a few blocks away. Almost all these boys have in common is playing baseball and studying the Talmud. And again, for context, the Talmud is extremely important, both in this book and in Judaism. From what I understand, it is a collection of commentaries from rabbis in ancient times, and it's centered around the Mishnah, which supplements and clarifies the commandments in the Hebrew Bible, in the Torah. Well, okay, the Torah is the first five books of the Hebrew Bible. The point is, collection of commentaries from rabbis. Studying and discussing the Talmud is a very important part of both Reuven and Danny's lives. And I'm not sure I explained that very well, and it might sound a little esoteric and intimidating, but I think Potok did an excellent job making this a very approachable book. You don't need to understand every aspect of Judaism to read and enjoy this. You just need to know that the study and interpretation of the Talmud is important to them, which Potok makes very clear. The book itself starts with a baseball game. Reuven is extremely invested in this very small drama between these two neighborhood teams. And it makes sense for Reuven at the beginning, because when you're young, you have a very narrow focus. And so this baseball game is the most important thing in his whole world. For me, the beginning felt repetitive, especially as we slog through a play-by-play -play of half of a baseball game. That may just be because I have a limited attention span for sports. There are only so many innings I am willing to sit through in person or in fiction. Though they end up being very good friends, Reuven and Danny have an 
inauspicious beginning. They take one look at each other on opposing teams and are immediately like, no way am I going to let that guy win. During the game, Danny hits a ball toward Reuven, hoping that he'll duck out of the way and miss the ball. Reuven, very stubborn, very determined not to let Danny win, catches the ball, but it hits him in the face, shattering his glasses and sending him to the hospital. And one of the themes in this book is about sight. Not only our physical sense of sight, but also how we perceive the world and each other and our relationships with each other. And that starts very early with Reuven in the hospital, anxious. He's got nothing to do except wonder if he'll lose his sight and thinking about how much he hates Danny. Danny even tries to visit and apologize, but Reuven sends him away, not interested in hearing an apology. Reuven's father, however, scolds him, saying the Talmud tells them to listen when someone has wronged you and wants to apologize. Danny returns, and this time Reuven listens. By the time Reuven is out of the hospital, the boys are confiding in each other and making plans to hang out soon. We're also going to see more and more of this, where Reuven's father is a very influential figure in his life. He's the only parent that Reuven has, and he has a lot of wisdom that he shares not only with Reuven, but also with Danny. Much of the friendship between these boys is Reuven learning about Hasidism and how Danny has been raised. It's a very different take on Judaism than what Reuven is used to. Danny, meanwhile, gets to learn about more secular interests through Reuven. Danny is expected to follow in his father's footsteps and become the leader of his community. But Danny is more interested in academics and studying anything he can get his hands on than in carrying on the family dynasty. Reuven, on the other hand, who could very easily become a math teacher and not have to worry about disappointing his family, actually wants to become a rabbi. Maybe. He's thinking about it. He's 15. He's got some time. And over and over we see these different perspectives from their fathers. Both of their fathers are brilliant. Everyone knows them. Reuven's father is a brilliant writer. He's a teacher. Everywhere Reuven goes, he meets someone who admires his father's work. Even in more conservative areas, people say how brilliant Reuven's father is. But because of his less-than-traditional beliefs, he can't hold a job in a traditional Jewish institution. Danny's father is a beloved leader of his community. He's charismatic and knowledgeable. He's very tied to the past and to their traditions. Reuven's father is warm and friendly, and Danny's father only ever speaks to Danny to teach him. Reuven is invited to study the Talmud with Danny and his father, and at the beginning, he's intimidated. Danny's father is this larger-than-life personality who wields a lot of authority over his community. And not only that, but Danny has a photographic memory. 
He can recall anything once he's read it. But Reuven soon figures out that while he might not have the full breadth of their knowledge, he is just as capable of diving deep into the passages he does know and understanding them. And I love this aspect of this book where they talk about the difference between memorizing and understanding. Just because you have passages or poems memorized doesn't mean you understand them, that you can tease out the meanings. Understanding requires consideration. And that's part of why I do this podcast. I have a tendency to read just for fun, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I like to give myself the opportunity to dive in and explore. And even then, a lot of these episodes merely skim the surface of what a book has to offer. This is also part of why I love to reread books, because there's always something new to discover. Okay, sorry, back to The Chosen. Like I said earlier, this is the story of a friendship. It grows and changes as the characters do. It's a really lovely story. You would think that they would reach some breaking point because their lives or their beliefs are too different to remain friends. But there's never a moment when Danny and Reuven are not friends. Once they've, you know, gotten over the whole baseball incident. They argue and disagree sometimes, but they always make up. They rely on each other. Danny even wants Reuven to be there to support him when he finally tells his father that he won't be following in his footsteps, that he won't become a rabbi. Which, to Danny and even to Reuven, is like the scariest thing that they can imagine doing, disappointing Danny's father. And then, when they're in college, World War II finally ends, and news reaches them of the Holocaust of six million Jews killed in Europe. Suddenly, these boys feel the weight of carrying Judaism forward, of being responsible for keeping their history and culture alive. Potok himself grew up during this time. He would have been around Danny and Reuven's age when World War II ended. I'm going to read a couple of pages from the book just because sometimes you're just not qualified to talk about something, and it's better to let someone else speak. Page 180 of The Chosen. And then, together with the official report of the signing of the unconditional surrender on May 7th, there came the news of the German concentration camps. My father, recuperating slowly and looking worn and weary, sat in his bed propped on pillows and read the newspaper stories of horrors that had occurred in those camps. His face was grim and ashen. He seemed unable to believe what he was reading. It was while my father read to me an account of what happened at Terencienstadt, where the Germans had imprisoned and murdered European Jews of culture and learning, that I saw him break down and weep like a child. I didn't know what to say. I saw him lie back on his pillows and cover his face with his hands. Then he asked me to leave him alone, and I walked out and left him there, crying, and went to my room. I just couldn't grasp it. 
The numbers of Jews slaughtered had gone from 1 million to 3 million to 4 million, and almost every article we read said that the last count was still incomplete. The final number would probably reach 6 million. I couldn't begin to imagine 6 million of my people murdered. I lay in my bed and asked myself what sense it made. It didn't make any sense at all. My mind couldn't hold on to it to the death of six million people. Danny called me a few days later, and I went over to his house the next Shabbat afternoon. We did not study Talmud. Instead, his father talked of the Jewish world in Europe, of the people he had known who were now probably dead, of the brutality of the world of his years in Russia with the Cossack bands looting and plundering. The world kills us, he said quietly. Ah, how the world kills us. We were sitting in his study, and he was in his straight-backed chair. His face was lined with suffering. His body swayed slowly back and forth, and he talked in a quiet sing-song, calling up the memories of his youth in Russia and telling of the Jewish communities of Poland, Lithuania, Russia, Germany, and Hungary all gone now into heaps of bones and ashes. Danny and I sat silent and listened to him. Danny was pale and seemed tense and distraught. He tugged constantly at an earlock, his eyes blinking nervously. How the world drinks our blood, Reb Saunders said. How the world makes us suffer. It is the will of God. We must accept the will of God. He was silent for a long moment. Then he raised his eyes and said softly, Master of the universe, how do you permit such a thing to happen? The question hung in the air like a sigh of pain. Danny could not walk me back that night. He had too much schoolwork to do, so I went home alone and found my father in his bedroom listening to the radio. And when the news program was over, my father turned off the radio and looked at me. How is Reb Saunders? he asked quietly. I told him what Reb Saunders had talked about that afternoon. My father nodded slowly. He was pale and gaunt, and his skin had a yellowish tint to it, and was parchment-like on his face and hands. Reb Saunders wanted to know how God could let something like this happen. I told him quietly. My father looked at me, his eyes somber. And did God answer him? he asked. His voice had a strange quality of bitterness to it. I didn't say anything. Did God answer him, Reuven? My father asked again, that same bitterness in his voice. Reb Saunders said it was God's will. We have to accept God's will, he said. My father blinked his eyes. Reb Saunders said it was God's will, he echoed softly. I nodded. You are satisfied with that answer, Reuven? No. He blinked his eyes again, and when he spoke, his voice was soft, the bitterness gone. I am not satisfied with it either, Reuven. We cannot wait for God. If there is an answer, we must make it ourselves. 
Six million of our people have been slaughtered, he went on quietly. It is inconceivable. It will have meaning only if we give it meaning. We cannot wait for God. He lay back on the pillows. There is only one Jewry left now in the world, he said softly, staring up at the ceiling. It is here in America. We have a terrible responsibility. We must replace the treasures we have lost. His voice was hoarse and he coughed. Then he was quiet for a long time. I saw him close his eyes and I heard him say, Now we will need teachers and rabbis to lead our people. He opened his eyes and looked at me. The Jewish world has changed, he said, almost in a whisper. A madman has destroyed our treasures. If we do not rebuild Jewry in America, we will die as a people. Then he closed his eyes again and was silent. The news of the Holocaust drains the life, the energy, the hope, in some ways, out of the older generations, the ones who came from Europe and still had families and memories there. Once again, Reuven's and Danny's fathers embody different perspectives. Reuven's father goes all in to Zionism. He wants a Jewish homeland, a place for Jews to go and rebuild. Danny's father believes that Zion must be founded by the Messiah, that a secular Zion is no Zion at all. Danny's father, once he learns of Reuven's father's support for Zionism, forbids Danny from speaking to Reuven. And during this time of upheaval and sorrow, they're separated for two years, going to the same college and forbidden to speak with one another. Reuven struggles this whole book with understanding Danny's father and understanding why Danny loves and trusts him so much. To Reuven, the man seems cold and unfeeling. He never speaks to Danny except to teach him the Talmud. He forbids them from seeing each other. Danny's still afraid to tell his father that he doesn't want to be the leader of his community after his father. Even after Israel is established and they're allowed to speak with each other again, Reuven refuses to visit Danny's father. In the end, though, once again, Reuven's father reminds him of his responsibility to listen, to understand other people, and Reuven promised he would be there when Danny told his father about his plans for the future, his plans to continue his education and to live outside of the Hasidic order. So, pushed by his father, Reuven swallows his pride and anger and goes with Danny. It's their final obstacle as friends about to leap into adulthood, into the wider world. But Danny's father, despite how Reuven feels about him, has never been their enemy. And his reaction to their news won't be what either of them expects. Overall, I really enjoyed this book. I wasn't sure at the beginning, because the baseball game kept dragging on, 
But the book really found its pace and its heart in the relationship between Reuven and Danny. It deals with a heavy subject, especially at the end. And part of that is showing how much Reuven's world has opened up and expanded, how much he now thinks about and considers when he started the book solely focused on winning a baseball game. But it's also a funny book. It's thoughtful and it's beautiful. And I'm very glad I picked up a copy. And I'm definitely going to keep it on my shelf and read it again sometime. I don't have anything specifically to recommend like this. There was a movie made based on The Chosen called, I imagine, The Chosen. Join me next time to hear about Otter Still by D.N. Bryn. And as a reminder, both my episode and the book will come out on June 9th. Have you read this episode's book? I'd love to hear what you think about it. You can contact me at backlogbookspod at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to support it, the best way to do that right now is to rate and review it, or just share it with a friend. You can follow the pod on Facebook at Backlog Books Podcast, or see a collection of the transcripts and other reviews I have done at backlogbooks.com. The music is by Joseph McDade. You can hear more of his work at josephmcdade.com. And thank you for spending this time with me. I hope to talk with you again soon.